It's Monday, December 22nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Thanks for being here. Flying solo today. Flying solo. Our our good friend and colleague Jason Moser getting a little well deserved time off. His his wife is is back from overseas. So take all the time you need. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So over the weekend we did uh, uh, the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. It was our year in review, and with the exception of oil prices, we really didn't talk about. The energy industry all that much, so I, I thought it would be good to get your thoughts on sort of the energy year in review, and obviously, if you're looking at the top story of the year, oil prices is number one. Yeah, it's the story of the year, but it's really only a story of a couple months. But you're right, it just dominated the headlines more so than anything else did all year. If if that's not happening, what what is on your radar as a particularly big story? The job creation from energy and the peripheral industries that support the energy industry. You look at some interesting reports. A lot of that didn't make a lot of headlines until the price of oil started to collapse, and people are like, "Pump the brakes on this being a great thing across the country for low oil prices." Um, because if you look at jobs created by energy since 2007, it's really buoyed the entire country. Um, just some quick stats: oil and gas job growth up 40 percent since the recession. All other non-farm employment still in the red. So, if you take away all the jobs created for this industry and to support it, I'm I'm worried that the U.S. would still be in a pretty deep recession because nothing else has really bounced back. So, while I do believe that short-term oil prices being low will be a net benefit for us, I hope they don't stay this low for a long time. Is there an energy stock of the year? And again, two months ago, I'm sure plenty of oil related stocks would be in the mix for that. Yeah, yeah, supposedly there are still some some surprisingly there are still some energy stocks that made people money this year. So I just made it simple. I looked at the top 5 from the S&P 500. Um, and it's I was surprised by the mix. So you have one refiner in Tesoro, um, largely based on the West Coast. You have their refineries in California, Washington State, Utah and a couple other uh, smaller presence there, but up 23% and if you look at their shareholder returns for the last few years, up 500% total return for since 2011. So this company is is uh, nicely removed from the bulk of the refining capacity on the Gulf of Mexico and along the middle of the, the U.S. So they service a niche industry and they've performed very well. And then you have two midstream companies and Williams companies and uh, Kinder Morgan. We all know what Kinder Morgan does. They're rolling up all their companies into a, a corporation rather than all these partnerships that they previously owned. Both returning 15 and 19 percent, um, so you, you really couldn't have gone wrong to invest in those big names. And then you have EOG Resources coming in there as number five with 13 percent return, a producer that's still making money uh, for shareholders in this market. I think they're the best producer in the U.S. And uh, to weather the downturn as well as they have, I think that they could be a nice buying opportunity rolling into 2015. This may just be my perception, but my perception is that. At some point in 2014, the solar industry turned a corner. Mm-hmm. And again, maybe that's just me, but I, there were years in the past where I looked at the solar industry and solar-related stocks and thought, "Boy, I, I just, I just don't see the viability yet." Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it doesn't come somewhere down the road. And now I look at solar energy as a viable industry that will produce winning, uh, winning stocks. 
It's just a question of who. Am I alone in that, or or did something meaningful happen this year? Uh, a lot of things happened meaningfully, and predominantly at the hands of Solar City. Uh, they tried multiple different ways of financing their solar leasing business. All have been pretty readily accepted by the, the by the street and by consumers. Um, so they've pretty much turned their solar leasing business into bonds. People can invest and take the yield from those bonds, and then they take that money that's invested and lease out solar panels, and then they just give those, they're basically just a middleman trading payments from consumers to investors. Um, And so that's been able to accelerate the process of them getting onto more rooftops across the the United States. And um, while they they weren't a big winner as far as stock price appreciation yet this year, um, there's been some great buying opportunities for this company. And I I think that that's going to continue on into the future. Because if you look at the consumer solar uh, re- residential or business, um, this is the company that I think is going to win. May- they might not be the industrial-sized solar farm winner, but um, as far as the consumers and the business side, I think that that's, that's who you have to look at. Well, and I remember Matt Argersinger pulling up a chart recently and showing me the cost of solar energy for the consumer and how that has fallen mm. dramatically, to the point where it's basically in line with all other consumers. Yeah, they've forms. reached they've reached uh, pricing parity there with oil and and natural gas. And once I think if they can find a way to work more closely with utilities, I think that's when they'll really take off. Because out in California, they're trying to test battery storage for solar for solar power using Tesla batteries, and they just can't convince the utilities to go out to these homes and hook up the batteries for their few test cases. So they really haven't been able to kind of spread that around. Because I think that once you get battery storage and better connectivity to the grid. That's when uh, Solar City and its its competitors will really have that upper hand and be able to just take off even faster than they have been. Two CEOs who really stood out in 2014 are Tim Cook from Apple and Jack Ma from Alibaba. Mm-hmm. In the energy industry, who is a CEO of note for 2014? Well, this is just an interesting story. Um, I, what his bad year has nothing to do with him being a bad CEO. It's Harold Ham. He's just put. Started his business, Continental Resources, with a thousand dollar loan um, when he was, you know, in his twenties and thirties. Built that into one of the largest oil producing companies in the United States, out of the Bakken in North Dakota, and he was worth about twenty billion dollars wrapped up in stock. And since June, he's lost about half of that. So seeing ten billion dollars of paper wealth evaporate um, kind of probably hit him pretty hard. Um, but that being said, he's still worth eight to ten billion. But it just shows that the tech sector isn't the only sector where um, founders and current CEOs are so closely tied to the share price. Um, so with with him, the way he's built this company up, I think that he's a CEO you can continue to trust because he does have so much of his own personal wealth tied up in the business. Insider ownership is something that the fool looks at a lot. Um, but it's a producer of oil, so there's going to be some wild rides very similar to what you've seen uh, since June and July of this year. Longtime listeners know that my favorite energy CEO, hands down, is Aubrey McClendon, who was at the helm of Chesapeake mm-hmm. Energy for so long. Uh, he's my favorite for the comedy value, right. not because he's this phenomenal CEO. He's now heading up American Energy Partners. Any chance they're going to go public in 2015? That's that's what I've asked. The, that's the golden the, ticket. That's right the uh, Wall Street. Christmas present I've yeah. asked Santa for. <laughs> I want Aubrey McClendon to be CEO of a public company in 2015. Am I going to get it? I wouldn't be surprised if he was. Although, you know, the way that he was kind of 
ousted from his company that he built the first time around. Maybe he just decides to stay private and just you know do his own thing. And who needs the hassle? Exactly. So um, while I would be very appreciative of a little bit more press around Aubrey McClendon as well, um, I wouldn't be surprised if he decides to just keep it keep it in house and uh, treat his investors to to a return that he he thinks he can earn. Because I would, outside of all the the antics, I I trust his knowledge of the sector. He just might go about it a little bit too brazenly for me. That's a very charitable way of putting it. <laughs> Thanks for being here. No problem. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.